All right, I'm Ray Hanania. I'm Bill Lipinski. And I'm Brian Broking. And this is Two Guys on Politics with our uh, producer, who's soon to be a billionaire with and uh, all his interest in Bitcoin, because it's really, it's, I've looked into a lot of the stuff you've been talking about, and I'm almost at the edge where I might throw some money at it to see what happens, but I'm not no, quite sure. This is the time to do it, you know? Right, where the prices have dropped a yeah, little, right? Every, yeah. Everyone's scared of crypto at this point, so. Yeah, because they saw the drop, but you're not going to be a super millionaire with a $10 investment anymore, right? Exactly, yeah. All right, well, we got three topics. Uh, Chicago crime, uh, Taiwan. Your grandfather wrote, wrote a great column, which runs in the Southwest News, Herald Dust Plains Valley News, uh, the regional news, and the uh, reporter newspapers. He wrote about Taiwan, so he's gonna, we'll talk about that a little bit. And then uh, at the end, we'll just uh, do a little brief about Barry Goldwater Jr., AUH2O Jr. coming to Orland Park to rally Republicans to kind of get their act together. Because as you know, the Republican Party has really gone off the far, far deep end, but there's still a core Republican group that, uh, you know, maybe they can save the party. So uh, Chicago crime. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to talk about this because this past week I spoke to some people that were in politics and government over the last 40, 45 years. And I'm talking about, you know, very prominent people. Uh, I don't want to say who they are, because if they want to say what they had to say about the city of Chicago, let them say it. But uh, there were people in politics, there are people in government, there are people that have a, a lot of money invested in th things that are in the city of Chicago and operate in the city of Chicago. And I was really uh, amazed at how negative they are on the city of Chicago in all the crime that is going on in the city of Chicago. And no one that I spoke to really had any kind of answer at the present time uh, for the crime. Uh, they are very down on the mayor. Uh, they blame her for uh, a lot of the problems that exist. But just, you know, we were talking earlier about uh, Millennium Park and Millennium Park almost being shut down. And that's on the weekends. Uh, but last night, I believe there was some problem at the uh, state in Chicago. Now, do either one of you know uh, details about that? Yeah, there were there were two people killed and nine wounded in a gun battle around there. Uh, uh, there uh, throughout the city, actually, there there are several. I mean, it's a, they don't even just it's not one place anymore. There was a uh, two people were shot outside a convenience store in Avondale. There were six others were wounded in the city by uh, Chicago, on Chicago Avenue. Um, there was a guy that was run over by a gunman in Marquette Park on the south side. Um, it, it's hard to keep up. I mean, it's coming like from every direction. Uh, but I remember seeing the one, you know, obviously the one this week where the guy was uh, at the bean and got shot and he had some problems, I guess. Um, and then the other one where the gunman uh, you know, drove up to a corner in Chicago someplace. He drove past the man who looked like he was walking down the street with some bags and he pulled around the corner. And as the man walked down the street, he jumped out of his car with his gun and confronted him, demanded his, you know, cell phone. Cause I guess he wanted to sell to transfer money from the cell phone. The guy wouldn't do it. He got in a fight with the guy. They rolled on the ground. 
He shot him several times. Then the gunman's friend came out of his car and shot him. The guy, while he's on the ground, he he lived, but he lost his leg. And, uh, you know, all for, you know, I don't know what it's like for what and and what what's being done about it. It's scary. I can't I haven't been to Chicago in a long time. I'm, I'm afraid to go there. Yeah, it has been just part of a larger trend, even in America, since, you know, early in COVID, that there just has been an uptick in crime, even small and large. Right. You, you see places like, you know, San Francisco, Los Angeles, that there's these shelves that they're, they're closing off the entirety of the shelves because people would run in, grab, run. They do the same thing on Michigan Avenue here in Chicago. We're getting to a point where, you know, we, we lived in a very, you know, long peace period in the terms of just random crime in this country where we got to a point where, you know, the shelves could be open. They, we, we all trusted each other generally. I think that trust is kind of lost and we're, we're seeing these things everywhere now. Why, why is that? Why have we come to this point? Either one of you have an answer? I think well, part of it is the DAs that have been elected across the country to basically reverse crime in and, and the enforcement of certain types of crime based on who, who they're kind of targeting. I mean, a lot of, a lot of like pettier crime or lower level crime is committed by, you know, people in the African-American community a- after the, you know, 2020 riots, there was a kind of emphasis to like decriminalize that community and stop the targeting from that community, which leads to, you know, milder enforcement of those crimes, which leads to serial crime because they just simply go back out and create the same crime after they're released on bail or something. I think it's simply we've become very light on crime that clearly leads to more. Yeah, I listen, I agree with you. I think, you know, when you look at especially Cook County, I don't know about the rest of the country, but the message that's being sent by the Cook County state's attorney and initially by the mayor. And I know she's trying she's running for reelection. So she's trying desperately to save herself, which I don't think she can do. But um, the message was the criminals come to Cook County. Um, you're not going to have as tough of a you won't be treated as roughly here as you would be elsewhere if you commit a crime. So she increased, you know, uh, uh, the levels of, uh, you know, uh, uh, things where they would become a crime, like uh, used to be five hundred dollars of you were engaged in five hundred dollars of theft and then you'd be prosecuted seriously. And now she raised that to a thousand dollars, you know, inflation, you know, it uh, to me, you don't increase it like inflation. You reduce it and say, if you steal something, you should be punished. But they're they're taking these crimes that they consider are uh, nonviolent and minimizing the punishment. But a lot of these nonviolent crimes result in violence, you know, and it just a matter of seconds, a nonviolent crime becomes a violent crime. Someone wants to steal something. Well, when the guy doesn't want to give up his cell phone, like that poor guy that lost his leg this past week when he was uh, 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 robbed by these two uh, uh, young men in a car that were following him. He didn't want to give up his cell phone. And then suddenly they pulled out guns and started shooting him. So, you know, it's like 
I think if you're a criminal and you live in anywhere around Illinois, Cook County is the place to be. And I think that's the big billboard that at the entrances to Chicago, you know, come to Cook County, come to Chicago. Uh, you'll have a better time at it. And she just they're they're just not tough enough. Uh, was there a, this one that occurred last night on uh, state in Chicago? Uh, I assume once again, there was a big crowd that was involved in that. I think that's what I've heard on the radio. I think I've read something about that in the papers this morning. Yeah, there's a there's a this other one, I think that is maybe the one you're talking about. This, uh, this is on the near north side, 10 shot, two fatally at state in Chicago. Right. Um, and uh, it was a melee out there by the McDonald's, you know, that at the 800 block of north, uh, it was like a state street at about it says uh, it was around 1040 p.m. Does it mention and, how many people were there by any chance? Uh, they were uh, a lot, a lot of people hanging around there. Well, and my point was going to be that you know, in this day and age, with all the instantaneous communications we have, yeah. I cannot believe that the police department doesn't see something like that building where you're getting more and more people in a confined area and they well, can't send the police in there to you know break it up before anything serious really occurs. I mean, there was once upon a time a task force that the Chicago Police Department had, uh, and they would send that task force into various areas on different nights. And, and I'm talking about a real task force. Uh, these guys uh, took no, no prisoners, but once they went into an area and there was any problem, the police came down, they came down very hard. And that took care of the problem in that area for a long time. I knew that uh, the neighborhood that I grew up in was in trouble when one night I saw about five squad cars to go down my block. I must have seen 10 guys on motorcycles at that time go down my block. That's when my grandmother decided it was time for us to move to a new neighborhood. I can't believe that, you know, we can't put something like that together. I mean, it, I realize that there are factors that cause these situations to occur, okay? But we have to get on top of what is occurring right off the bat to protect the rest of the citizens of this city and this county. We've, we've spent the past 24 months demonizing police. We've been telling them not to do their jobs. People have been trying to defund them. They, they simply are at a point where it's hard to do police work, which yeah. would you know break up these kind of scenarios. The, <laughs> in, in the Dakota early shooting, the two guys who shot him were tracked one hour before the shooting. The owner of the car that was stolen to then do the, the robbery had reported to the police, told them the location. The police had visual contact of the car, but decided to not chase because they were speeding off. Not an hour later, the crime was committed there. They, they simply aren't, you know, pushed to do their job anymore because the downside risk is too much. If they are chasing these guys, that's, that's a concern for others. But at the same time, this happened at two in the morning. How many people were out at that point? You're talking about the 13-year-old that got shot? This is Dakota Early. This is the, yeah, the guy were, that was shot in Chicago. There was another one, uh, the Toledo kid, who was like 14 or whatever, 13 or 14, well, just, who got killed. In the last couple of days. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's endless, though, right? It's like every well, week. It's a blur. 
shot in the last couple of days. There's been more on radio and TV about that young man at 13 years of age being shot by the police department, you know, than there has been about all these other uh, large scale gatherings that have caused a lot of problems, caused a lot of deaths, but because a police officer shot this guy who was getting out of a car that was had been hijacked, that's where all the media goes. That doesn't help the situation. Yeah, the, the, I don't think the, the mayor and the state's attorney are supporting the police enough. The police have to be tough. They should allow them to be tough. But every time they get in a situation, I mean, if I were a police officer in today's world in Chicago or Cook County, I'd be thinking, geez, do I really want to go after that criminal? Because if he pulls a gun and I shoot him, I'm going to get blamed. He'll drop the gun. The family will sue the police department. It becomes the lottery for the families of these uh, gangbangers, you know, suddenly 13 years old, they go, oh, poor 13 year old. No, the 13 year old was working with the street gang members and the street gang members recruit these kids to carry the to be there to take the weapon. If the police intervene when they're doing something, because they know that they're going to be treated like juveniles um, and won't suffer the same consequences. So these gangbangers are playing every angle, but we're not. I I've heard from police where they've been told not to intervene because the assumption is uh, police intervention is going to aggravate the situation. And I think that's the mindset that is really hurting the, the city and uh, the county, that somehow the police are the problem and they're not. We need tougher, you know, they need support to be tougher to do their jobs. Um, but now it's like their whole lives could be, you know, uh, disrupted, destroyed because some gangbanger who they put a picture of him graduating in high school or elementary school with the cape and the hat and uh, the poor kid. And, you know, yeah, I feel sorry for anybody getting killed. But and I wish he didn't f go into that situation. But who doesn't ask where their 13 year old is at two o'clock in the morning? We should we should charge the parents, but we're never going to go that direction. We're going to blame the police. Well, just I want to say one last thing. You just brought up the parents. Uh, I just read a survey, which I believe is true, uh, that 80% of children born in the African community, African-American community today, are out of wedlock, which means they are being raised by single mothers. There's no fathers there, and it creates little problem for girls who are born in those situations, but for men that were born or boys that were born in that situation, not to have a father figure in the home is really an enormous problem. And those are primarily the individuals who we see getting involved in these kind of situations. Now, how you ever solve that problem, and you certainly don't solve it overnight, I don't know. That's been going on since really the great society, that's what started it all. That's what started breaking up the African-American family. I know that Maria Pappas was just on WGN this past week, said the exact same thing. And she's been under siege from members of the media, from some people in the African-American community for suggesting that a sing having a single parent, you know, not having a father contributes to the problem. She brought that point up. And I agree with you that we're not even allowed to talk about what the problems are because people want to turn that into a racial thing. 
you know, there's crime all over the country and even areas where it's all white, there's crime. So it's not like blacks are any worse than whites. But when you have a poor community and the economy is bad and there's no jobs and you have a, a few gangbangers that are taking advantage of it, where do you think the kids are going to go to see their future? We're not offering them anything better. And we're certainly not helping helping by weakening the police. We need to be tough love. If my kid were like that, I'd want the police to beat him so that I could save him. You know, it sounds bad, but, you know, I don't want him to end up. You don't give a good lesson to a kid early. It just gets worse and worse. And then you got to be tougher and tougher. It should start right at the beginning. I'm finished on for, for this week on this subject. Brian, do you have anything to say in conclusion? No, that sounds good to me. All right. Well, our next topic, Taiwan. Uh, Bill, you wrote a column that was in the that will be this week in the Des Plaines Valley News, um, the regional, the Southwest News Herald on Taiwan. What's the situation over there? Well, everybody is talking about the, the Chinese uh, invading uh, Taiwan because of the situation with Russia having invaded Ukraine. Uh, so I started researching the situation and it is going to be enormously difficult for China to succeed in invading uh, Taiwan. First of all, everybody agrees it would be a greater sea invasion than the Normandy invasion of World War II. That's number one, it's a hundred miles from the Chinese coast to Taiwan. Open waters, in those waters, not including what the United States might possibly do, just what the Taiwanese have at the present time. They have, uh, well, let me take a look right over here. I wanna make sure I'm accurate, so I'll take a look at this outstanding column I wrote on the subject here. In the, in the uh, Taiwan Straits, uh, Taiwan has 22 frigates, 31 missile boats, 14 Corvairs, 13 warfare vessels. They have four sub submarines. They'll have eight submarines by 2025. All right, plus they have over 200 F-16 fighter planes. Uh, so the Chinese communists have to get through the Straits of Taiwan first to get to the beaches in Taiwan to land. There's only, because of all the mountains in Taiwan, there are only three possible areas where they can land. So the Taiwanese can concentrate their military forces in those three areas. Now, if the communists get through the Straits of Taiwan, they land on the beach there, they, in, they will incur fortifications three times as good as the fortifications that the Germans had in the Atlantic Wall against the Allies back in 1944. Uh, there are bunkers there, there's hardened silos there. And remember, there's still all these airplanes that the Taiwanese have uh, plus some of the boats that are still going to be there, you know, still shelling the communists once they do get to the beach. But trying to get through the fortifications on the beach 
are going to be extremely difficult for the communists. And I'm skipping over a lot of this because I don't want to go into that much detail. And I want people to read my column when it appears in the newspaper next week. Uh, the next thing that happens, if by chance there's still some Chinese communist troops that have managed to get through all those fortifications, now they get into the into China, I mean, into uh, Taiwan proper. They're going to have to fight their way through three very large cities that make up 70% of the population of Taiwan. And you have seen, and I have seen, we've all seen how difficult it has been for the uh, Russians to fight in these uh, Ukrainian cities because people on the defensive in, in cities have so much more of an opportunity to defend themselves than an attacking force had. And last not, but not least, if the communists somehow get through all of this, uh, the Taiwanese can always blow up the semiconductor chip locations that produce 85% of the chips that are used in the world at the present time. So I think all this talk about the Chinese communists invading Taiwan is greatly exaggerated. So it just, and just for listeners, just to remind them, I know that uh, Taiwan is an island just off the Chinese uh, coast of China. Um, and Hong Kong is a city that's a little further south, I think, along the border. Wasn't there like this uh, process? Like I know in Taiwan, weren't we trying to protect the democracy and prevent the Chinese from taking over. What about Hong Kong? Was that also part of that? Or is that under complete control of the, uh, is there any part of the mainland that the Chinese don't control? Is there any part of the mainland that the Chinese- Like Hong Kong? No, the Chinese control, the Chinese communist control Hong Kong. Hong Kong had been ruled by the British for probably 120 years or so, but the British gave up that rule, turned it over to China. China promised that they would be autonomous, independent, democratic. Right. And of course they haven't lived up to that whatsoever. But no, uh, the history of uh, Taiwan is that the Japanese occupied that back in 1895. They changed the name from Taiwan to Formosa and right. the Japanese were there until the end of the Second World War. Right. In the four years of the Civil War in China, between the Nationalists and the Communists, the Communists won, the Nationalists under Chiang Kai-shek retreated to Formosa. They changed the name back to the Chinese name of Taiwan. Uh, and we said that we would defend Taiwan. And we sent the Seventh Fleet into the Taiwan Straits to make sure that did occur. And I am sure there are still some American ships there today. But the Americans have promised several administrations that we would defend Taiwan if it is attacked by the communists on the mainland. And just for listeners, just to tell them, you know, when I was just looking at the map, when you look at the map, um, Taiwan is at one end. There are a bunch of little islands that include Okinawa uh, that lead up to Japan. So when you look at Japan, it looks like there's a group of little islands and they end up with this giant island of Taiwan, which gets very close to uh, China. So it's uh, I I don't know how you stand up 
you know, to China because, but I think your uh, column uh, pretty much spells a lot of that out. So it'll be interesting because that's where the next big problem is, isn't it? I mean, we're focused on Russia, but China remains a big looming problem, I think, for everybody. Uh, I agree. Brian, uh, you're familiar somewhat with the uh, island chain uh, off the coast of China. You want to go over that for our uh, audience and tell them uh, how that comes into play and how uh, Taiwan is so important? Yeah, sure. So I guess a, a lot of the reason that Taiwan matters so much to China isn't necessarily just from the historical reuniting China aspect, but also from the, you know, military strategic aspect from from the Chinese side, right? The the island chain of, you know, going from Japan, the all, all the island chain from Japan all the way down, then Taiwan, then the Philippines, then Singapore, Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, all of these countries have some kind of relationship with the United States of America. We have military bases on Japan, Taiwan, uh, you know, presence in the Philippines as well. We basically have boxed the Chinese fleets in their you know, own territory, in the East and South China Seas. They, they can't get out without going through some kind of strait where we have a huge military presence. And that kind of leads to a scenario where if China ever did want to move outside those territories, they essentially need to ask us, right? They need to ask for permission. There's no way to get through. And the way they view themselves, right, is a world superpower. No world superpower has to ask another for, for the ability to move their troops. We don't. So it, it is a very important strategic operation for them to basically partner with someone like Taiwan, the Philippines, or Japan to get full access to the, the greater uh, Pacific Ocean. Yeah, it's uh, and and when you look at that map, it goes all the way down uh, from uh, Japan through Okinawa, those little islands, then to Taiwan, then it goes down to the Philippines. Um, you know, as you say, and it kind of wraps around that whole uh, eastern side of China. You know, it kind of you're right, it boxes them in. And of course, Vietnam was there, and that reminds us of all the problems way back when, when the communists thought that if they could just take Vietnam, they could take that whole. Uh, peninsula of Thailand, Cambodia, and Malaysia, and then work their way into those other islands that are allies uh, with the U.S. Wasn't that the domino theory? The domino theory. Now uh, we're talking about the domino theory in uh, Europe. Yes. The Russians. Well, we got Finland on board and Sweden on board now. But didn't didn't Uh, Turkey try to block that, though? Doesn't uh, Turkey have a veto? Over the yes, whole, th- yes, they do, and it's because Sweden and uh, uh, Finland somehow have been aiding the Turk. I'm not, excuse me, not the Turks, the, the Kurds. Kurds. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the latest I thought was that Erdogan is going to uh, sit down with the Finns and uh, the Swedes, and I'm and sure work it out their problem out. But getting so back- he's trying to leverage it, though. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good. Now getting back to China, though. The Chinese, we all agree, think not in five years, 10 years. They think in 25 years, 15 years, 100 years. Yeah. So they're well, not going to attack Taiwan, you know, in my lifetime, your lifetime, Ray, and probably, Brian, not even in your lifetime. The competition we have with China 
is in trade, in manufacturing things, in controlling economies. That's the competition we're in with the Chinese. And that's what we really have to deal with. Yeah. Finished. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, it, it is uh, always on the horizon and it's scary when you see everything else, I think, happening. All right. The, the last topic we have is uh, Barry Goldwater. And just uh, uh, to tell you in the middle, we could talk a little bit about him. Um, Goldwater is coming out to Orland Park tonight, which is Friday, May 20th at 6 p.m. at this uh, place in Orland Park called Elements Banquet Hall at 16235 South LaGrange. It's part of an effort by the Republican Party to push out the far right extremists, the crazies. Um, so they have almost every Republican leader, um, Durkin, uh, Brady, uh, all the all the big Republican candidates, all the uh, candidates for governor except Irwin uh, is going to are going to be there. Um, and uh, they're trying to revive the Republican Party because in northern Illinois and in, in Cook County, it's on the verge of destruction. And I know that, you know, being a for Democrats, it you know, you think, OK, yeah, let's get rid of the Republicans. We'll have it easy. But without a counterforce, I think it makes the opportunity to do wrong so much easier. And the Democrats could get in much more trouble. But um, so there's an effort to protect uh, at least the presence of Republicans in Cook County. I don't know how that is going to work, but uh, uh, they, they brought out as their keynote speaker, Barry Goldwater Jr., who's the son of you know, the presidential can can candidate, Barry Goldwater, who ran in 1964. And Bill, you remember him, right? A-U-H-2-O. That was his uh, campaign uh, sign. Uh, yes, but his motto was, in your heart, you know he's right. Uh, and I am proud to say that I voted for Barry Goldwater in 1964. He was the second Republican for president I voted for. I voted in 1960 for Richard Milhouse Nixon. Uh, now, I was afraid to say that probably for 20 or 25 years uh, because of the fact that uh, uh, Kennedy, of course, was an Irish Catholic. I'm half Irish, I'm Catholic. And it was probably a mortal sin not to vote for John Kennedy in 1960, even though he was one of the greatest philanderers that has ever been in the White House. But we didn't talk about that stuff then. Uh, no, we didn't. Ironically, let me just say, and I'd like to know if Brian has anything to say about this, but it's odd that, I shouldn't say it's odd, but it shows you where the Republican Party is. In 1964, Barry Goldwater was considered by the Eastern establishment that controlled the Republican Party as an extremist. Okay, today, his son is being brought in to, a moderate. to talk to the moderates. Right. Right. But he's still he's still I interviewed him. He's still principled in terms of, you know, we don't want governor government telling us what to do. Um, you know, you can't be too liberal, you know, but he defines a conservative uh, path that is far closer to the center than what we see today, because back in the 60s, you know, the Republican Party was, I think, and I hate to use the word moderate, but they were more moderate. They were more uh, centrist um, and they had a big appeal in Chicago. And over the years, you know, that's completely changed and we've lost it. Um, now, when you say Republican, we think of Donald Trump or we think of the far right extremists 
Uh, some of them are nuts, you know, but we have nuts in the Republican and the Democratic Party too, right? The far left, you know, so there's this, it's this new dynamic of uh, American politics. Brian, do you have anything to say about this subject? Maybe I, I get these two, uh, two split, but the uh, Barry Water, Goldwater kind of seems like the clean cut, like more center of the line, true conservative. Whereas the, the Trump Republican Party is more of just a populist party that, you know, appeals more towards the worker um, almost in, in a lot of the southern states and, you know, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Georgia. So I, I think it's an interesting way to go. I, I don't think it's where the votes are for the Republican Party. Um, I think the Democrats have a pretty, pretty tight hold on the, you know, elital coast. And that feels like what Goldwater would almost uh, appeal to uh, in that kind of conservatism. So I, I, I don't see much, much coming from this, but maybe I'm yeah, wrong. I see the extremists as being a cult. I don't consider them Republicans. I think they're focused on personality themselves individually. Uh, I don't think they're conservatives, really. I think it's just opportunist cult. And they are against a lot of things that maybe some Republicans are against. Um, maybe even some Democrats, but they're more of a cult. And I think that's really dangerous. Politics has really gotten ugly over the last decade. And uh, when I think back to the 60s, because I like Bill, my first vote when I was when I turned old enough to vote was for Richard M. Nixon, his second time around and uh, his second uh, his reelection. Of course, after I voted for him, then he got in trouble and he had to resign. I was sitting in the military watching his you know, resignation speech on TV going, I voted for this guy. How did that happen? But it, it wasn't that hard to believe, you know, but it the media started on Nixon and the Republicans and it's never relented. It's really just uh, grown that confrontation with them. So I think the future of the Republican Party lies to a great extent with people who have really been pushed out of the Democratic Party yes. to a great degree, the white working middle class, the black working middle class, and particularly the Hispanics. The Hispanics are leaving the Democratic Party in droves because Hispanics are very family orientated. The vast majority of them are Catholics and they see the Democratic Party sponsoring things that are totally against their religion. So I think that's where the future of the Republican Party lies, but not with a leader like Donald Trump. But I want to say in conclusion, my part about Barry Goldwater, the greatest thing that occurred because of Barry Goldwater running for president in 1964, Ronald Wilson Reagan made a speech that was on national television in behalf of Goldwater saying it was time for a change. And that was the springboard for Reagan to save America and become president twice. Reagan was the phenom back then. Um, and we saw that with, they, they gave that title to Obama about 10, 15 years ago. 
when he gave that uh, speech at the uh, Democratic Convention. So, all right. Oh, and the last thing about the Goldwater is, you know, you asked me, what do I remember about Barry Goldwater and that election in 1964? This came afterwards, as you corrected me, not during the election, but that image, the commercial that the Democrats made about voting for Goldwater, you were going to see this big plume of an atomic bomb exploding with the little girl, I think, holding a flower. But as you pointed out, LBJ never ran that commercial, but it did come out after the election. And that's the first thing you think of when you think back on, you know, the former presidential candidate, Barry Goldwater. Yeah, Lyndon Johnson uh, knew Barry Goldwater very well. Uh, They had cooperated on a number of things. And he said he couldn't run that commercial. Yeah, it was a very powerful commercial. I remember the little girl sitting in the middle of a field right. with all these yellow flowers. Right. She yeah. had one in her hand. Yeah. She was picking these flowers up like she was going to make a bouquet and take it home to her mother. And the next thing you see is this atomic cloud. And it says yes. something about, you know, Barry Goldwater. This is what would happen if you voted for him. Right. It was terrible. All right. Any other, any final thoughts, Brian, anything Goldwater, AUH2O that opened your eyes, right? That, that when anybody can tie into the science, uh, any politician that's creative. And I I thought that was very creative. Yeah. I had never heard that before. That's a good one. Yeah. It's really good. So, and memorable. I don't remember, although I do remember a few things with Kennedy and, and LBJ, his slogan was all the way with LBJ, I think was, was his campaign slogan. All right. Anyway, uh, if we're done, uh, uh, anything else? We're good then, huh? All right. I'm Ray. I'm Ray Hanania. I'm Bill Lipinski. I'm Brian Broking. And we will see you guys and talk to you next week. And thanks for listening to us. All right. Bye, everybody. Hang on. Let's see. Stop live streaming.